Good morning. It is good to see you all here this morning. My name's Brian. I'm also one of the pastors uh, of the church. I'm less funny than JD. Uh, and so uh, I look forward to opening up the scriptures with you this morning. Uh, Acts chapter 4 is where you can meet me. Uh, Acts chapter 4. Our passage this morning is Acts chapter 4, verse 32 uh, through chapter 5, verse 11. For some of you who would like life to be a little more clean cut. You hate that I broke up the passage that way, and there's that big giant five in the middle of our passage, but I trust you'll see how this fits together uh, quite nicely. Where that five was placed is not inspired by the Holy Spirit. Uh, instead, it was a guy, the story is a guy in the back of a wagon uh, putting the numbers there, and every once in a while I hit a bump and put it in a bad spot. Um, again, that's the story. Whether it's true or not, I'm not certain. Uh, the title for the sermon this morning is Who or What Phil you, who or what fills you? This is an important question for us to ask. Uh, it's an important question for us to ask because uh, it's also an important question, and I believe our text this morning will answer the question quite well who or what will fill you? It's an important question because what fills us is also what fuels us. Right? So if you think about your cars, uh, and I know now we have cars that are fueled by all kinds of things, right? but if your car is fueled by gasoline, if you put gasoline into it, then it will be propelled. If you put diesel fuel into it, it will not work quite as well. right? If your car is fueled by diesel fuel and you put gasoline in it, it is not uh, doesn't work quite the same way. We are fueled as well, right? We can be fueled by a lot of things. We can be fueled by anger, and that will result in certain uh, activities. We can be fueled by compassion, and that will be, result in other activities as well. So what we are filled with is very important uh, because it also fuels us. Our passage today, though, is even underneath those things. It's underneath anger. It's underneath compassion. It's actually deeper than that is what we'll see in our passage this morning. What is it that fills us? Who is it that fills us? And what will be the results? Pick it up with me in Acts chapter 4, starting in verse 32. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them, and brought the proceeds of what was sold, and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. But a man named Ananias, with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property and with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? 
After it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, Yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. So again, who or what fills you? This morning we're going to example, examine four options of who or what we will allow to fill us. I think it will be clear as we work through these four options which one uh, the Scriptures are compelling us towards, which, one the, uh, which ones of these the, that Luke, the author of our passage, is trying to compel us towards, which one the Holy Spirit is trying to compel us towards, which one of these is the best option, or which uh, multiple of these are the best options for us. But in case it's not clear, we'll summarize at the end as well. Four options to test. Number one is the Holy Spirit. Number two is Satan. Number three is nothing. And number four is fear. Which one will we allow to fill us? So number one is in chapter four, verses 32 through 36. Chapter four, verses 32 through 36. Option number one is the Holy Spirit. Pick it up with me in uh, chapter 4, verse 31. We'll just go back a little bit. The end of the passage that was preached last week says this, And when they, the people, had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they continued to speak to the Word of God with boldness. And so everything that happens in the first paragraph of our passage at the end of chapter 4 is a response of the people of God being filled with the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. So everything that happens there is, is that. This verse, verse 31, is an excellent summary of our passage last week where we saw the apostles proclaim the word with boldness. They, they stood in front of the authorities and they proclaimed the good news of Jesus Christ with boldness. It's a good summary of that. It's also a good segue into our passage this morning because the first paragraph of our passage this morning tells us what it looks like when a people are filled with the Holy Spirit. That would be good, right? If we, if we come here and we say, we're the people that gather around. We want to know God through His Son, Jesus Christ. We want to make Him known to others. Jesus Himself says, it is better that I go away and I will send My Spirit upon you. What does it look like for a people to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, it tells us, notice in verse 32, they were of one heart and one soul. They were unified. 
Right? So if the Spirit fills a group of people, that people will be unified together. It's really interesting. Uh, when we think of unity, sometimes we think, oh, I can manufacture unity. Typically, when we humans try to manufacture unity, we create a very exclusive club and no one could ever join that very exclusive club, right? And we try to maintain unity by being very exclusive, but you'll notice the unity that's being talked about here is a unity that is constantly adding people to their number. So if you've been with us, we started back in Acts chapter 1. There were only 120 believers of Jesus Christ. 120. We fast forward a little bit further and by the end of Acts chapter 2, 3,000 people are being saved in response to one sermon. And then we saw the number grew to 5,000 men. They stopped counting all the people. They just started counting households. And so they counted the men and they were up to 5,000 men at that point. And it says multiple times all up to this point in Acts that the number was being added to daily. And so this is a unity in the Spirit of God, not a unity by exclusivity. It is a unity that is allowing anyone who would submit to Jesus, anyone who is filled with the Spirit, is able to be unified with this ever-increasing group of people. What else are they known for? What else do we see when someone is filled, when a group of people are filled with the Spirit of God? We see in verse 34, they were known for their generosity. They were known for their generosity. So there were some people who were very wealthy in this group. There were other people who were very needy in this group. And what happened was, of their own accord, of their own desire, out of a result of the Holy Spirit changing their lives, they sold some of their possessions and they gave to the apostles to distribute to those who had need. Now this is going to be, create a little bit of a logistics problem that's going to be addressed uh, in Acts chapter 6. But just understand, they were, they were selling their possessions, they were laying it at the apostles' feet, the apostles were distributing to any as they had need. This was not forced by the apostles, this was a moving and a working of the Holy Spirit that people would joyfully and generously give to one another as those had need. So they were known for their generosity. Verse 36, we see they were also, they honored encouragement. They honored encouragement. We are introduced to a character in verse 36 and 37. In the name of, uh, in the name of Joseph, who is also called by the apostles Barnabas. This guy is going to show up throughout the New Testament, and he's going to be referred to as Barnabas almost exclusively from this point on. Okay. And so what we see about this guy is throughout the New Testament, he is rarely, if ever, going to be the main character of any passage. Right? But he is behind the scenes. At one point, he partners with the Apostle Paul, who we're going to meet here in a few chapters in the book of Acts. He's going to partner together with him. And the Apostles, why did they call him Barnabas? They called him Barnabas as a son of encouragement. He was there encouraging Man, we want to be those who honor people who are encouragers. We want to be people who are encouragers. If you're new around here or you're new to Christianity and you're just kind of wondering like, man, where can I fit in? Where could I be helpful? Why don't you try on encouragement? Like, pray for the Spirit to awaken to you, man, who could I encourage today? Have the Spirit lead you to encourage someone. The, the Spirit may lead you to confront someone in their sin, but that will always be gracious. But what would it look like for the Spirit 
to lead us to encourage one another. What might that look like? Barnabas is an encourager. So we see these things that they are known for when they are filled with the Spirit. They were of one heart and one soul. They were known for unity. They were known for generosity. They honored encouragements. What will we be known for? What will you be known for as an individual? What will we be known for as a church? If we are filled with the Holy Spirit, we will be known for the things that the church in Acts was known for. We'll be known for unity. It is impossible for us to be filled with the Spirit and also to hate our brothers and sisters. The Apostle John is crystal clear about this in the book of 1 John. It is impossible for us to say we are filled with the Spirit while also hating our brother and sister. It's impossible. Instead, we are to be unified with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Let us be known for unity, and a unity that is not just exclusive, but a unity that is always adding to our number together. Also, if we are filled with the Spirit, we will be known for our generosity. We will go to drastic measures to care for one another and support one another as anyone has need. If we are filled with the Spirit, we will encourage one another. We will honor those who are known for their encouragement. Again, if you're wondering what you could do to be helpful, encourage someone. Find someone to encourage. Uh, As I was preparing this portion of the sermon this week, I was reminded of a moment uh, in the life of this church. You may or may not notice. If you get here like 15 minutes late, you won't notice this. But if you get here 15 minutes early, you'll notice that every Sunday we gather up in a circle and we kind of go through what's the order of worship going to be and we pray for our gathering. Now you'll notice we start our gathering and there's prayers at the beginning of our gathering. We want to bathe our gathering in prayer. And there was one particular week we were still meeting back at the uh, association building in the gym, but we had the same practice there. We were circling up, and uh, I, was, I was very distraught about something. Uh, it, was, it was clear to others that I was distraught. I was supposed to preach that morning. And, uh, and as we were circling up, a brother uh, who was there in that circle He looked at me and he said, Brian, I want you to know that in this issue that you're struggling with, that you've got a whole church around you and a whole church that's supporting you, and I want you to keep doing what you're doing. It was literally two sentences, but in that moment, it meant more than than any other two sentences that have ever been spoken to me. It it was powerful, and it was profound, and it was timely encouragement, and I believe it was led by the Spirit of God in that moment. So I want you to pray, again, spirit-led, spirit-filled, what can I do? Is there a sentence or two? It's not always, like, it doesn't have to be verbose, it doesn't have to be manufactured, but is there a moment or two, is there a sentence or two that the Spirit is leading you to say, you need to encourage that person? What they did was good, it was right, it was pleasing to God, encourage it. Now before we move on to the other options... Some of you are like, this seems like the option, right? Like filled with the Spirit. All right, this is, this is the right answer, right? Before we move on to the other ones, let me just speak. If, if you're a skeptic in here, if you're skeptical today, like you're here, but maybe you're skeptical about this Christianity thing, I, I just have to ask you a question. What I've described to this point, is this not what you desire? To be a part of a people who are unified together. It's like they have the same spirit among them and they're for one another. 
Well, the reason that it seems like we have the same Spirit is because we do. Right? Is that not what you desire? And I understand that we as a church, we as a people, we as a local church, and we as the universal church, sometimes we struggle to live this out. Right? And by sometimes, I mean every day we struggle to live this out. But is this not what you want? To be part of a people who are unified together in a way that they can add others to their number on a regular basis. That they are known for their generosity of one another and they are known for their encouragement of one another. Is this not what we desire? I contend that everyone would say yes. What else could fill us besides the Spirit? Option number two found in chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. Chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. Option number 2, Satan could fill us. Satan. The reason that I separated the passage like I did is that without an uh, understanding of the end of chapter 4, you might not feel the shift that happens in the tone of the text when we get to chapter 5 and verse 1, right? It's good. They're filled with the Spirit. They have everything in common. They have great power. The apostles are giving their testimony. There was not a needy person among them. There was a guy, he was so known for encouragement that they called him a son of encouragement, and that was his name uh, that was used throughout that time. All these good things are happening. Again, it's so good that even the skeptic would say, that's what I want. If there was a people that was like that, I want to be a part of that. And then you get to chapter 5 and verse 1, and it says this, But a man named Ananias, with his wife Sapphira, they also sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, Ananias, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. The implication here is that he said he was bringing all of it, but he only brought part of it. So you feel this shift in the text. You feel this shift from the beauty of being filled with the Holy Spirit of God amongst a people, and then you get this shift where Ananias brings forth what looks like a good thing. He brings forth a gift of money. Where would you get the money? I sold a field. Okay, awesome. Is this what would you sell the field for? This is all of it. This is everything that I sold the field for. And somehow Peter knows that he's lying to him. But you might ask, why in the world would Ananias do such a thing? You may say, oh, well, maybe the apostles, these evil authorities, they were forcing him to do it. No, Peter says, absolutely not. It was your field to do whatever you want with. When you sold the field, it was your money to do whatever you want with. So why would Ananias do such a thing? Well, Peter says why he would do such a thing in verse 3. Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit. So Peter believes, and Luke recording it believes, that the reason Ananias would do such a thing is that Satan has filled his heart to do such a thing. 
Now we can imagine some other reasons, perhaps. Perhaps we could imagine that Ananias was jealous of the attention that Barnabas was getting. Uh, This encourager, he was receiving accolades perhaps when he sold his field and he was generous. Maybe that's why. Maybe, uh, Maybe... Ananias was just being, uh, being prudent. Maybe he saw that property values were high and he saw an opportunity to get a little cash and also look generous. Like, hey, I'm going to sell at the high market. I'm going to get this cash. I'm going to keep back some for myself and I'm going to look generous. We can imagine all of these types of things, right? These things we don't know, though. It's not told to us in Scripture. But what is crystal clear in the text is that Ananias greedily lied because he was filled with Satan. And we must keep reading a little bit, okay? Because I think too often in our society, in our context, there are certain subsections of our culture where where we will kind of absolve ourselves of our participation and our responsibility in sin with a little sticker that we throw on things called, the devil made me do it, right? And so like, oh, well, I think Satan calls me to do this, or I think I was compelled by Satan to do this. I want us to notice verse 4. So again, Peter says, while it remained unsold, it was yours. After it was sold, was not the money at your disposal. And then he says this, Why is it that you, Ananias, have contrived this deed in your heart? It's an interesting question, right? He doesn't mention Satan this time. The second time he asks him, he makes it seem like this is all Ananias is doing. He makes it seem like it's only Ananias' idea. He doesn't mention Satan at all. His sin was lying, and he made a pretense out of generosity. What Ananias did, he wanted to do. He did what he wanted to do. That's Peter's point. Look, this was your field to do whatever you wanted. After you sold it, it was your money to do whatever you wanted. So why did you contrive this? Why did you lie to the Holy Spirit? This is a very important passage for us. You see, we live in a culture that tells us some really peculiar things that do not line up with Scripture at all. Okay? It takes a lot of different versions. I'll just tell you a couple that I thought of without even having to think a whole lot. One is, and this is like the Hallmark Channel. I know we're getting, getting ready to come up on, uh, on Christmas, and the Hallmark movies are awesome. If you're curious how it ends, like if you're like, oh, I, I'm starting it, but I'm not sure how it's going to end, just let me know. Give me a call. Give me a text. I'll tell you how it ends. They get together. All right, so that's how it ends. But, but what's the theme all throughout the Hallmark movie? Follow your heart. You just got to follow your heart. You just got to listen to your heart. There's other versions of it, right? So the younger millennials or the older Gen Zers, right? We got to keep it real. You got to, you just do you, right? Or keep it 100. Whatever it is, the, the idea is just look inside yourself. Just be you. Just focus on you. Listen to your heart. But what we learn here is that what Peter does is he sees Satan filling someone's heart and someone just acting out of their sinful, fallen, fleshly heart is the same thing. 
Peter sees no difference between those two. And it's interesting, if you start pulling the thread on this, that theme comes up elsewhere in Scripture as well. Proverbs gives us two Proverbs. The book of Proverbs, two Proverbs. Identical, two different places. You're like, there's not the same verse twice in Proverbs. Yes, there is. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12, and Proverbs 16, 25. Both of them say verbatim this. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. So there's a way that seems right to us, and its end leads us to death. That's why also in Proverbs chapter 3 it says, lean not on your own understanding. So that means there's an understanding that I have that I'm not supposed to lean on. Instead, I'm supposed to lean on the wisdom of God. Another place in, uh, in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, it talks about the person before Christ, the non-Christian before they're a Christian, what their life looks like. And one of the things is it says that we are following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. And I've asked at least a hundred people the question, who in the world do you think Paul is talking about? And 99 out of 100 have answered, I think he's talking about Satan. Yeah. So apart from Christ, apart from Christ changing our lives, apart from the Holy Spirit filling us with a new heart and a new soul and new desires, apart from that happening, our sinful heart and Satan's heart have the same desires. We must fight against this in our lives. Do not blindly follow your hearts. Do not blindly just do whatever you want. And when the, answer, the question is asked to you, do not respond like a toddler. Like, why would you do that? Because I want to. Right? There should be better reasons for why we do things in this life beyond because I want to. Instead, we must turn to Jesus and be saved. We must turn to Jesus and He will send His Spirit. He will fill us with His Holy Spirit. And then He will compel our actions. It may feel a little similar, like, well, I, I desire to do this thing that I used to not want to do. Well, that's the Spirit changing our hearts. That's the Spirit changing our desires. So if you have a Spirit-filled heart and He compels you to do something, you should walk in that. But if it's just your sinful flesh, you should not walk in that. So Ananias' filling was bad. He was filled with just his sinful human heart. And he was being lured and enticed by Satan himself. Ananias' filling was bad. That is very clear. Hopefully that's very clear. Now his wife's option for filling is a rather sad option. So Ananias' was bad. His wife, Sapphira, his, hers was rather sad. What was Sapphira filled with? This is option number 3, chapter 5, verses 7 through 10. Option number 3 is nothing. Peter's interaction with Sapphira is shorter. It's just a little shorter. The feeling I get from Peter in his inter interaction with Sapphira is disbelief that she would continue in the scam after what he, Peter, just witnessed three hours previously. So just imagine Peter. And I don't know what the scene looked like. I don't know if he was like, 
maybe sitting like near a pulpit or something, or I don't know if he was just chilling at like a more lounge type looking area in this interaction. I, I don't know, but he watched a man lie to him. Somehow, Peter, filled with the Spirit, knew that he was lying to him, called him out on the lie, and then watched him drop dead. And then watched young men carry him out to bury him. Maybe he got word that the young men are coming back. Takes, I would guess, I've never buried somebody by hand, but I would guess it takes about three hours to bury someone by hand. And so they're coming back, and they're near the door, and all of a sudden Sapphira is standing in front of him, and he starts to ask her, did, did you sell the land for this much? She said, yeah. And, and so Peter's short interaction to read a little bit of the tone into this just seems to be a gas. Why would you do such a thing? Why, why would you test the Spirit in such a way? As you start to pull the thread and start to figure out what Sapphira is doing in this passage, you will notice that Sapphira is extremely passive in our text. She is with her husband in, uh, in this plan, verse 1 tells us. She had knowledge of the plan, verse 2 tells us. She went along with the plan. She went along with the plan all the way to her husband's death and her own death. Now, while there are certainly applications for all of us in this passage, I think it's appropriate that we at least apply it to wives in the room. Husbands, I think you'll learn something if you listen in for a moment. But while there are certainly applications for all of us, I think it's appropriate that we focus on wives for a second. You see, wives, it is true that the Bible instructs you to submit to your own husbands. That is true. That is clear. It is clear as day in the Scriptures. If you're wondering, like, where would you get such a thing that wives are to submit to their husbands? Ephesians chapter 5, Colossians chapter 3, 1 Peter chapter 3. It's very clear. It's implied, I believe, in Genesis chapter 2 as well, that wives are to submit to their husbands. But that instruction, again, it's not explicitly clear until the New Testament. That instruction in no way negates other roles and responsibilities for a godly wife. So two, ones, two things I want to think about and talk about. God honoring submission to your husband will never require you to disobey God. Okay? So, so don't disobey God, knowingly disobey God. Oh, we're going to lie to the apostles? Sounds good, dude. Let's keep going. Right? At no point will a godly submission to your husband also include you directly disobeying God. So, so don't walk down that path and say, well, God told me to submit to my husband. No, first and foremost, we must honor God. And, and all of us, every individual, including wives, will stand before God, maybe in a scene similar to Sapphira with Peter, and answer and give an account for what we have done with our lives. And there's no get-out-of-jail-free card of, well, the devil made me do it. There's also not the get-out-of-jail-free card of, my husband told me to do it. Okay? That, that will not be what stands and prevents you from the wrath of God. 
Instead, you will answer to God for your actions as an individual. Godly submission will never include disobeying God Himself. That's the first one. Number two, submission to your husband does not negate your purpose as a godly wife. If you go all the way back, so I'll say it again if you're copying down notes. Submission to your husband, godly submission to your husband does not negate your first, what did I say, role, priority, purpose, fill in your favorite there. If you go all the way back to Genesis chapter 2, it is very clear what God says to Adam that he's going to do when he creates the woman. He says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a helper fit for you or a helpmate suitable for you, depending on your translation. So man, if you have a godly wife, one of her primary roles in your life is to be your helper. And listen, we need help, right? That was a great place for an amen right there. Like, amen. We need help, okay? We need help. All right, we need help to stay away from our sinful selves. So ladies, wives, if your husband is walking into sin, if he is walking towards a proverbial cliff and he is attempting to lead you and or your family with him, it is your purpose, it is your role, it is your commission before God to be pleading with him not to go there. It is your responsibility to plead with him, no, don't do that. What you're doing is walking towards sin. You need to stop. And what you might need to do is just stand still for a second. And say, okay, you're not hearing me, but I can't submit to that. I'll submit to all this other stuff that doesn't matter, but if you're telling me to sin against God, I can't do that. We could use some obvious ones, like if your husband tells you to go rob a bank with him, you're like, no, I'm not going to do that, right? But there's, there's other more nuanced things where this gets a little complicated, right? Okay, but just understand that... that the band-aid of wives submit to your husbands does not answer all things. It, it's not just a sticker you can slap on top of things. We need ferocious women. We need women with backbone. We need women who can stand up. We need women who know what's right and know what's wrong and have the courage to walk in it. We need all of those things in our women. So being filled with nothing. I use that word nothing intentionally. Being filled with nothing doesn't really make sense, right? So I can imagine, though, that Sapphira felt like she had nothing inside her. Maybe, maybe I've been too hard on her. Maybe she's been trying for years to get him to listen. Maybe she's been with an obstinate husband for 20 years. Maybe she... Maybe she's been with an obstinate husband for 40 years. I, I don't know. But maybe at this point she's filled with nothing. And then her sin would be content with that. Right? And maybe you come in here this morning and you're saying, like, stand up. Like, what are you telling me to do? I've got nothing for that. There's nothing inside of me that can do that. Well, just like we've been singing and we'll continue to sing, like, come to Jesus. Come and meet with Him. Ask that the Holy Spirit would fill you. 
Right? How, how did the apostles proclaim the word of God with all boldness? We just read it in the previous passage. We, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. How are you going to have the strength and the power to do this? You're going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So if you feel empty, if you feel like you are filled with nothing, come to God to be filled with His Spirit. We come to option number four. It's kind of throughout this passage. Option number four is fear. We could be filled with fear. Verse 5 of chapter 5 and verse 11, chapter 5, tell us that fear come upon all the people who heard about Ananias and Sapphira. Those within the church and those outside of the church, they were filled with fear. Fear came upon them. But that's all we get, right? doesn't tell us why they're afraid. We can, we can start to speculate a little bit. They saw, two people, saw or heard of two people dying for their sins in a moment. But I want to focus in, before we speculate too, much, speculate too much, I just want to focus on two that I think are applicable for us from this passage, specifically those in the church and or those who are trying to or would like to join with the church. So if you're, if you're with me at the beginning where I said, isn't this something you desire? But then you have this fear. I want you to press into those fears and then press into the church and press into God Himself to be filled with His Spirit. So number one is you may fear God's wrath. You may read or hear of a story like this and you may be filled with fear of God's wrath. This is an appropriate fear. You see, God hates sin. And all of us, if we're honest... We understand that if there is a good and righteous and holy God that we have sinned against Him. We also realize it's clear in the Scriptures that God knows all things. I think also it's easy to, to even teach a toddler that God knows all things. God knows everything. It's part of what makes Him God. God is everywhere all the time. It's part of what makes Him God. It's a very simple concept to understand, but it's also a very fearful concept to understand when we realize that we have sinned against Almighty God. Not only is God all-knowing, but God is also all-powerful. So if God is all-knowing, and we have sinned, and He is all-powerful to do whatever He desires with our sin, we are in a very fearful place. But what we are to do in response to this, and the Scriptures are clear in this, is we are to press into that God. Because what God has done at great sacrifice to Himself is God has sent His own Son. His Son lived the perfect life, the sinless life, and God poured out His wrath on His Son, paying for our sin. And so our fear from the wrath of God should draw us to God who actually at a great sacrifice to himself quenches his own wrath in the death of his son. So the fear of God's wrath is good and it is right and it should draw us to him, draw us to Christ, the propitiation for God's wrath. Number two, we could have a fear of our own propensity to sin. Okay? So if you read this passage, if you hear this passage preached, and you think to yourself, whew, I am glad I don't have those problems that Ananias and Sapphira have. Like, man, glad I'm never going to struggle with that. You are self-righteous. I encourage you to read uh, the gospel accounts, and Jesus is very strong on those who are self-righteous. 
But I imagine most of us as we read about Ananias and we read about Sapphira, and as we continue to read it and we continue to press into it and we continue to examine our own lives, we actually find more of ourselves in these two individuals than we care to admit. And so we have this fear of our own propensity to sin. If that is the penalty for sin, I am scared and I don't want to sin. Again, we need to press into this fear. We need to press into this fear. I don't believe that me standing up here yelling at you, don't sin, is actually going to be all that effective in convincing us not to sin. As fun as it would be to stand and yell and say, don't sin, I've found with my own heart, with my own kids, and from time to time in this church, yelling at people, don't sin, really does not help them to not sin. Instead, I plead with us all to run to the Savior who lived the sinless life. So He's an example for us. He also paid our sacrificial death. So He's the propitiation for us. He's the payment for us. He's the atonement for us. And then ask to be filled with the Holy Spirit to help us to kill the sin in our lives and to grow us more and more like Jesus. So as we fear that we could be like Ananias, as we fear that we could be like Sapphira as days go on, we should press in to do the work of killing sin and turning to Christ. As Puritan pastor and writer John Owen writes, he says this, Do you mortify sin? Do you make it your daily work? Be always at it while you live. Cease not any day from this work. Be killing sin or it will be killing you. We must always be aggressively pursuing the sin in our lives, giving it over to Christ and allowing Him to do work. So there we have it. Four options of what we may be filled with. The Holy Spirit, Satan slash our own sinful hearts, nothing or fear. My proposition today is that we be filled with the Holy Spirit. To do this, you must reject allowing Satan and your sinful human heart to fill you and compel you and fuel your action because that action will be sin that leads to death. We must also reject passivity. We must reject complacency. We must reject the the desire and the passiveness that wants us to remain filled with nothing. We must reject that. In all these things, a proper fear is necessary. A proper fear is one that draws us near to God, not away from God. Proverbs again is helpful for us in this. In Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 7, it says this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord. And so we should fear the Lord. We should press into Him. Let us draw close to God. Let us draw close to one another as we endeavor to do this together. I love you guys. Let's pray. Lord, the Apostle Paul's words in Galatians 5 are our prayer this morning. God, I pray that we as a church would walk by the spirits and that we would, in so doing, not gratify the desires of the flesh. God, I pray that you would give us a heart 
to see the desires of the flesh, to see that they are against the spirits. Paul tells us very clearly that the works of the flesh are evidence. They're clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. God, we ask that you turn us from these things. Our hearts are prone towards these things. So we ask that you would fill us with your Spirit. That you would fill us with the fruit of your Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. God, we thank you that in Christ you have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And God, we ask that you replace it with a filling of your Holy Spirit. God, we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. As uh, the musicians come this morning, uh, we're going to continue to sing together. Um, the first one we're going to sing is Abide With Me, a beautiful song pleading that God would abide with us, remain with us. Maybe abide's not a word you use every day, uh, but that God would remain with us, steadfastly with us. And so stand and sing with us as we continue to worship this morning.
All I need and trust is the deep, deep love of Jesus. Please be seated. All right, it's time in our service where we get to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. It is a time for us to celebrate, to remember what Christ has done on our behalf. Uh, This is for the Christian, those who have put their faith and trust in Him as Lord and Savior. Uh, If you are in unrepentant sin, you find yourself in unrepentant sin, then I pray that you would either take this time and reflect on this past week and repent or turn away from that sin. Uh, But if you can't do that this morning, we just ask that you would refrain uh, from uh, the elements as they pass by and just take this time to... To, uh, uh, to reflect on, on your sin and, and, uh, and what that looks like for you. This is for uh, all Christians. You don't have to be a member of this church. If you're a, a guest here and a, and a, and a member of a, lo- a local church in your area, please feel free to partake with us. Uh, we want to partake with you in that way. And so um, we just ask that you would do that. So, uh, Mike, if you could uh, give me a hand. Tyler, do you mind? Yep. And uh, Daryl, if you give me a hand. Thank you. Oh, may I then in him be found 
Dressed in his righteousness alone Faultless to stand before the throne I will be in 1 Corinthians 11, starting in verse 23. Sorry, Daryl, we gave you no support on that. <laughs> All right. Here's what it says as we partake together. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the... But I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread... When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's do that together. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your grace, your mercy that we find in Jesus Christ. Took on the weight and punishment of our sin for all those who would believe and put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. So we thank you for your exchanging our sin for your righteousness. And so we thank you for your grace and mercy. Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Everything we've done to this point uh, in the service is are things that we're commanded in scriptures to do. So sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs together, to read scripture together, to um, uh, sit under the preached word together, to pray together. All these things are clearly commanded in scripture. Uh, and then... Usually the last little bit of our service, we'll, we'll share some announcements and some other things. But uh, one thing that we've talked about amongst the leaders for a while is, is how to formulate something else in our gatherings that, uh, that is clearly talked about in Scripture. And that is sharing testimony of what God has done in our lives. Okay? Uh, and so from time to time we're going to do this, probably not every single Sunday, but uh, from time to time we're going to do this. And we're going to, uh, we'll start this morning with uh, the young lady we're going to be baptizing this morning. And so Danny, if you would, tell us what God has been doing in your life today.
Hi, my name is Danny O'Day, and I'm happy to be able to be baptized today. This is a big step in what has already been a long journey. So I grew up living with various family and my various people in my biological family. First, my mom, then my dad, and then my two aunts and an uncle. And then when I was 12, I entered foster care. During this time, I would sporadically go to church. I would go with my mom, my sister, and then my foster brother. But every time I went, I was forced, so I never really wanted to go. But when I was 12 or 13, I got baptized with my foster brother. I had the thought of, he's doing it. Why shouldn't die? Which is not a biblical reason to be baptized. So instead of being baptized to be more like Jesus and to fulfill all righteousness, like it says in Matthew 3.15, I got baptized to fit in. But today, I want to be baptized to be more like Jesus. Then following my baptism, it was very evident in my life that I did not truly have Jesus in my heart. I was chasing after things that I, didn't, that I know didn't please God, and I was finding my identity in them. I was an angry person who didn't like anyone and made sure they knew it, so I was not living for Christ. But on July 31, 2015, it all changed. I remember being in my room listening to music when it hit me. I need Jesus, and I am nothing. I went downstairs to my dad, my dad now, and I told him that I wanted to be saved. I want to truly allow Jesus in my heart and into my life and let him shape me and mold me to be more like him. I cried at how ugly my sin was, and I thought, how could God really love me? But now I look back at all that I've been through, and I see God. I see that, yes, I absolutely don't deserve for him to love me and redeem me from the sin that was done to me and I've done to others. But then I think of Ephesians 2.8, by grace you have been saved. So knowing that, I try to continuously live my life for God and not for myself. I struggle with that daily, but daily I go to God. I want to live for the Spirit and not to my flesh. I struggle, but what I do with these struggles is vastly different than what I used to. And this testimony is the testimony of the glory of God. This is not my doing, but is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So again, I give all the glory to God. Based on that testimony, this afternoon at 2 o'clock, we're going to baptize Danny in the Atlantic Ocean. And uh, I encourage you to join us. Uh, I, I think about it sometimes because we're asking you to gather again at a different place to witness a baptism. Uh, and I'm thankful if you're not able to be there, we understand. That's why we wanted Danny to share a testimony so you would uh, have the privilege of hearing that as well. Um, but as I think about who should come to the baptism, I, I do think about a few different groups. Uh, number one is if you're a member of the church, it's a gathering of the church. Uh, the ba a baptism is an ordinance of the church. And so we gather together as a church to celebrate baptism. So if you're a member, I highly encourage you, plead with you to be there. Uh, if you are contemplating baptism, you should be there. 
If you're like, what is this? What's going on? We're going to talk about baptism briefly. We'll hear Danny's testimony again, and then you'll see a baptism, a public baptism. It's a nice day today. There will probably be witnesses out there. Uh, And so a public baptism, and to see a young woman do that could be very influential in your life. Um, I would even plead with you, if you hate Christianity, and I don't know how you wandered in here, but uh, if you hate Christianity... Um, I want you to see the boldness of a people going out and doing what the world would call a very odd thing and doing that in a public setting. So I would plead with you to be there as well. So join us 2 o'clock, 2 o'clock, Onslow Beach on base, uh, on the beach. Um, If you are, uh, Paul Bailey is going to be right down here. After the service, if you need a sponsor to get on base, See Paul, he's going to try to coordinate that. If you can sponsor someone on base and you're willing to do that, even for a stranger, uh, you can go see Paul as well. And he's just going to air traffic control and connect dots with one another. So if you need that, if you can solve that on your own, that would be even better. Uh, But see uh, Pastor Paul up here and make plans to join us. Uh, I know 2 o'clock doesn't give a ton of time, but grab some food, grab whatever you need to, and meet us out there at 2 o'clock. We're going to be the same place we were. Uh, We did a baptism in August, so if you were there, we'll be the same place. If you're familiar with Onslow Beach, come uh, you come over the drawbridge. Hopefully it doesn't go up as you're trying to get there, but go over the drawbridge. You can see the ocean. You're going to take that left and go all the way to the end. There's a parking lot there. It's I think it's like the Starfish Pavilion. Uh, if you are completely unfamiliar, you can also see Paul. I dropped a pin of where we're going to be and where you want to park. Uh, so see Paul if you have logistical questions or concerns about baptism. Uh, A couple of other quick announcements. Uh, Youth group is tomorrow night. That did not make it in the bulletin, but there is youth group tomorrow night. True. Good. Paul is also uh, in charge of our youth, so you could see him. Uh, Other big thing, we're excited. We mentioned it earlier, but uh, we have a team here from uh, my home church, the church where I was baptized, uh, Atlanta Road Alliance Church in Seaford, Delaware. If y'all would stand up, that'd be great. I know, Chris, you haven't done any work yet, but that's good. It's good to have you here anyway. Um, uh, Very excited to have them with us. They have come down here to work with us. Uh, to help us with some building projects. We started that work yesterday. Several of you were there. Uh, Good to see you. Got some rest and you're back. Uh, We're going to be working for the next few days as well. So if you're on a 72 or a 96 and you could uh, come out and work with us together, uh, we'll be here tomorrow. We'll be here Tuesday. Uh, Joshua's not up here. Are we Showtime 08 again tomorrow? We'll discuss. Yeah, sure. Sure. Sounds good. All right. Uh, Even if you spill in a little after that, that's fine as well. Uh, But anyway, we'll be here Monday, Tuesday, and then probably even Wednesday as well, if for whatever reason you have a flexible schedule for that. Uh, We're actually starting the fun stuff. Well, demo was fun, but we're starting painting and things that will look good at the end, hopefully in the days to come. So please join us for that. Very excited to have uh, the team with us. One of my requirements when Dad was like, hey, we're uh, going to come and visit you guys, I was like, you got to worship with us. 
with us. You've got to be here on a Sunday. I know it's a sacrifice uh, for the church there to have uh, these folks gone, uh, but we just wanted to worship with you guys as well as you're here. Hopefully it's been a blessing for you. Uh, last announcement, women's discipleship groups, small uh, in number. Uh, discipleship groups are going to be starting up. I know a lot of you have signed up as well, but all that's kind of taken place in the last week to 10 days. And so if you want to be involved and you haven't told anybody that you want to be involved in women's discipleship groups, uh, Miss April Baker is going to be up here on this side. So baptism on your right. If you got logistical questions about baptism on your right, uh, questions or desires to join with women's D groups on your left. Cool. All right, let me pray for us and let's scatter. God, thank you so much for this testimony that we have just heard. Uh, God, that someone who was lost is now saved. And God, I know that's the testimony of so many of us. And God, I just uh, pray that you would fill us with your spirit uh, individually and corporately as a church. God, that as we go here, we would go with your Spirit, that we would be looking for ways to unify with one another, to help one another, to encourage one another, to do all of these things uh, unified by your Spirit. God, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, guys.